Got me? There we go. Thank you. Morning. Morning, Rock Bible Church. Morning. Being a community serves a greater community. Wow. Happy Father's Day. Happy Dad's Day. I, uh, before I pray, I want to give something to pray for and ask for your forgiveness. It's perfect day for dad jokes. Is there ever a good day for dad jokes? If there ever were a good day for dad jokes. Okay. Why are there Pop-Tarts but no Mom-Tarts? It is because of the pastriarchy. One, uh, 100 years ago, everyone owned a horse and only the rich had cars. Today, everyone has cars and only the rich own horses. The stables have turned. Real groaners. Why is water heavier than butane? Because butane is a lighter fluid. Just got hospitalized due to a peekaboo accident. They put me in the ICU. I hope Scott sees what happens when he leaves and gives me this opportunity. A giraffe's coffee would be cold by the time it reached the bottom of its throat. Ever think about that? No. You only think about yourself. And my favorite is a meme of Kermit the Frog, if you can see him. And it says, ate my last piece of cheese yesterday. Today it is raining. Ain't no sunshine when cheese gone. <laughs> That's all the singing you're going to get out of me. Well, um, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the fathers and Happy Father's Day to the dad. Sometimes they're the same person. Sometimes they're different. I want to uh, put up on the screen Ephesians uh, 6, 14 th through 30. We're going to talk about armor. And uh, we're going to talk about shedding armor. The title is Shed Other People's Armor and Run Toward Victory. Uh, and after Ephesians 6, 14 through 20, we'll read through 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 58. It's a long passage, and uh, we're going to do our best to get through it. Um, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly 
as I ought to speak. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Father's and Father's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to get together in this wonderful group of believers and those who have yet to believe. And we give thanks for your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us before we were even born. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's uh, wade into Samuel. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So if you can see a map of Israel in your mind's eye, between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea is where we're talking about. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Goth, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, about that big around. Where am I? How far down am I? Second line from the top? Uh, oh, oh, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, or are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. That was a lot of how they did it in those days. And I'm thinking right now, with all the warfare and all the fathers who are dying and the families that are taking hits in various places of warfare in this world, and the young men who will fail to ever become fathers, this kind of way of doing battle seems like it would be a little bit more humane. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was a son of, let's go back and see if I can pronounce that word, of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. 
The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain. It's about three-fifths of a, of, a, of, a, uh, of a basket of grain. And these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring back some token from them. Dad wanted to know how his boys were doing. Now Saul... And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Goth, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So he gets married into the family and he's free of taxes and his family. And David said to the men, who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So I think he wants to confirm what the deal is. For who is this uncircumcised or pagan Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? Uh, the saying is, a, a prophet is never accepted in his own family, in his own land. So his older brother has given him a hard time. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? In other words, can't I even have a say around here? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way. So David got, felt his agency, and he turned to somebody else, said the same thing, spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. So now we got confirmation. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of him, one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's what they did in those days. Sometimes they still do it. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for their battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him, finished the job, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and to the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? 
And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Well, scholars have de- debated over, over the, all these years of uh, the text in Samuel 17. There's parts of it that are missing from the Greek translation, the original first Greek translation out of the original Hebrew, uh, out of the scrolls. And there have been efforts to try to deal with discrepancies about how old David was when he killed Goliath, and then how come Saul and Abner failed to recognize him. If you notice that in there, it seemed a little odd because it wasn't just the guy that was the fiddle player, as in the little, uh, the little miniature um, harp. Thank you very much. Um, liar? Is that the word we use? Yeah, liar, liar. Pants on fire. Um, in, in, in the Hebrew, the, the text of Samuel was compiled from various documents. There were schools of prophets in those days. And the narrative that we have now was compiled from historical materials from different uh, sources. And we'll leave those kinds of discussions for another time. Um, we'll just trust that Scott will lead us through that and edify us well. Um, Armors for protection, mostly. Uh, What we will consider is, when does armor wear us down? My father taught me how to fly uh, airplanes. Uh, He was an instructor pilot in World War II. and after 10 hours of sitting by me in this tiny little two-seater, he got out uh, said he had me taxi over to the uh, base of the control tower at Buchanan Airfield up in Concord. And he said, do three touch-and-goes and then, and then come back here and pick me up. And then he said, and remember, it's going to hand, handle differently with this lard, and then he used an A word, with this large person out of it. In other words, releasing some of this weight is going to change how this airplane felt. First time I ever had, I was going to have that experience. When he made that derogatory reference to himself, he let me into, into the club because my father was very strict about yes sir, yes ma'am, no sir, no ma'am, if I shut the screen door a little loudly when I came in. I got to go in and out of it, shutting it 10 times until I got the message of who was in control and how to shut a screen door. Um, And when he made that statement about himself and trusted me, he trusted himself as an instructor, he trusted me as a student, and he and I had had a contentious relationship with uh, me being on the receiving end of... uh, pain and I'm, mine was physical, I'm thinking it was probably emotional. He gave me that extra little bit of confidence when he said that. And while I was very aware pulling away from the bare base of the airport tower, 
and toward the takeoff end of the runway, I was free of fear. And it was the same for my seventh jump out of a, an airplane at 15,000 feet with a parachute, a perfectly good airplane. I might want, somebody says, well, how can you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? He says, well, we don't use perfectly good airplanes. Um, yeah, the, the, the first jump was terrifying. The second was even more so because I'd survived the first jump. And uh, then I'm thinking, why in the world am I doing this? And by jump seven, uh, and then afterwards, I could hardly wait for that door to get open and, and to just to launch out of that thing. Um, and by the way, if you're ever skydiving, uh, take everything out of your pockets before, before you jump. Um, what kind of armor have you and I been carrying around? What kind of shoulds and should nots have we told ourselves? What kind of self-criticisms have we used to buffer ourselves from disappointments or from self-doubts? Last week, uh, Pastor Mark talked to us about responding to our calling. And that's hard to do with carrying around too much stuff. I love the blues. You know, I, some of you know I play the harmonica sometimes in here with the worship group. And they played one of my favorites today. I hated to miss it, uh, Amazing Grace. And think of those words, Amazing Grace. I, I heard Cecil Williams, the pastor of Glide Church, down in the Tenderloin, and uh, a black man with a booming voice. And, and when he sang that saved a wretch like me, remember this was a white man who was a slave trader running a ship, that when he came to terms with what he had been doing, bringing slaves, to America uh, and it hit him that he said that saved a wretch like me when Cecil Williams sang it out he said person saved a person like me so I love the blues I love that kind of music and here are the lyrics to Delbert McClinton's blues tune too much stuff maybe we can play that some Sunday worship leaders um, Big house, big car, backseat, full bar, houseboat won't float, bank won't tote the note. Too much stuff. There's just too much stuff. It'll hang you up dealing with too much stuff. Well, it's way too much. You're never going to get enough. You can pile it high, but you'll never be satisfied. Too much stuff. Too much stuff. You know you can't get a grip when you're slipping and all that stuff. Back to David. When he shed Paul, uh, Saul's armor, he did it to have free movement. And he was free of wondering how he looked to his brothers or to the soldiers who were all dressed up in their outfits. And he did it with confidence that he could do the job. When Goliath mocked this guy without the proper outfit, he mocked the God of Israel, and David maintained his focus. Free of baggage, he ran toward the guy. He ran toward a guy who had a, was so tall that his head could touch the bottom of a basketball rim. That's how those cubits and spans and everything that we were reading in the scripture, how that measures out in our terms. And you think Brent is big. Goliath, with his helmet on, was above the rim of a standard basketball hoop. His coat of mail was 157 pounds. His leggings were bronze. The head of his spear was made of iron and was 19 pounds. 
Iron beats bronze. The Philistines had smelted iron. They were the ones that had the iron. And all that armor did him zero good. I can remember as a kid playing Tarzan and Superman and David and Goliath. Sometimes Sometimes my, my Goliath was my father. At times I was that angry. I made myself old school slings, the kind that David had. As a boy, I got to where I could whirl them around and put that rock pretty darn close to where I was aiming lots of the time. And I'm thinking if that were a tool that I had at my disposal to protect some animals that I was held accountable for and was responsible for, I'd probably get really good at it. David was gifted in a lot of ways in this story as a marksman, and he was gifted with God's blessing and God's calling. Last week in his message, Mark also told us to live into our calling that we have received from God. To do that, we have to listen. Pardon my pun, Goliath wasn't that big of a deal. David was a good shot. He shut the mouth of somebody who was defaming his God, the God of Israel. David had patriotism, the patriotic faith in God's call for his people and God's standards for real relationships. And as we will find in the Sundays going forward as the pastor preaches about, about David's life and the coming and going and the pain, we will see God dealing with David and with those around him. David struggled with those standards along the way. And despite doing some really bad things, God loved him. And David always loved God. Let's go to the fill-ins on the back of your uh, bulletin. Uh, I've yet to know about you folks. Uh, However, these days, I've been spending a lot more time thinking, uh, as long as I'm down here on my hands and knees, whether it's uh, refinishing a deck uh, or doing a drip system, uh, is there anything I need to take care of while I'm down here? Because <laughs> the getting up and down hurts. Uh, uh, as Doug knows, risk to take a beating and we have to be aware of what's around us and how does our equipment work and what are the limitations for me more and more getting up and down is more for sleep I could you know, I can get in and out of the bed okay and then sometimes getting at eye level with a little critter who's disrespectful to her elders um, calling me silly papa um, I might have started that. I understand that. Call somebody a silly grandchild, you're liable to get something back. So I think things through much more when I'm using my hands and my legs and my back. So for the first fill-in, I want to make myself situationally aware. What does that mean? I want to observe what the facts are. Sometimes that's a little more difficult than we might think. 
because we are raised with a kind of language that helps us obscure facts. I'd like to run you through a little experiment. I'm going to ask you a question. It's a yes or no question. And I'm going to tell you the answer ahead of time. And you might think that uh, Scott and I decided to play some kind of a trick on you, and I assure you, this is free of trick. The answer to the question is no, and I'm thinking that you're going to think that the answer is yes. And it's really no, free of trick, honestly. Here, hand on the Bible, yeah. You get a chance to really do it. Okay, the answer is, what's the answer going to be, folks? Oh, thank you. As Scott would say, that's the interactive por portion of the service this morning. So, um, this is, when I ask the question, and my guess is you're going to want to say yes, and it'll be kind of like the doggy does when it goes, you know, trying to figure out what just happened. Okay, ready, gang? Free of trick? Tell me if you can see that I'm not wearing a hat right now. What do you want to say? The answer is no. Yes, can you see that I'm not wearing a hat? And you want to say? Yes, and I told you the answer is no. We can even call that the Sunday school answer and get away with it in this building. Can you see that I'm not wearing a closed collar with a necktie? You want to say? And the answer is really no. Can you see that I'm not seated right now? And you want to say, and I'm telling you the answer is no. Can you see that California's previous governor is not standing over here in front, the one that, you know, the actor from Austria? Can you see that that person is not standing over here in front of the piano? And you want to say, yeah, yeah. And I'm saying the answer is no. So if it's free of a trick, what's going on? Rather than you can see that I'm not wearing a hat, what you can see is a head that looks like our drummer Doug's, where we have a horseshoe haircut and the light reflecting off of the bald spot. That's what you actually observe. Rather than you can see that I'm not wearing a clothes collar with a necktie, you see a T-shirt. Rather than you see that I'm not seated, you see that I am standing. We're tricked to say what we don't see and think that's a fact. How about the time that somebody didn't give me a call on Father's Day? Ooh. See how that starts to set up pushback and right and wrong and good and bad? So teach yourself to listen to when you say what something isn't and try to change it to what it is. Next fill in. Pay attention to the way God designed me. God designed me with feelings, emotions, and sensations to know what my needs are. How do I know I need food? I feel how do I know I need liquid? I feel thirsty. How do I know I need rest? How do I know I need closeness? If it's gone, 
I could feel lonely. How many times have I said, or you have perhaps have said, I feel neglected. I feel shut out of her life. I feel like they don't care. Those are other than feelings, folks. Those are thoughts. And if I get that straight, how God designed me is feelings are real things. And David lived with that feeling of confidence in him that he knew what his job was. And one feeling that was missing from him as he faced the giant was fear. He ran toward him, as you recall. How about I feel like I won't be able to do it. Tell me what, tell me if you'll buy that that's a thought. I'm thinking that I may fail to have the skill to pull something off. How might I feel if I'm thinking that I've been tasked to do something and I'm going to be short of the internal or the external resources to do it? Tell me how you think I'm going to feel. Self-doubt? Frightened? One thing about the human brain is when we identify the feeling, for example, of fear, and we put a name to it, guess what happens? It begins to dissipate. When we name the emotion, the true emotion, we go up into that up, upstairs real estate in our brain where we can do more clear thinking. And I think where we can hear the word of God, that still small voice that scripture talks about. Think less victim and more God's servant. If I think of myself as a victim, I'm looking for somebody to rescue me. If I think of myself as God's servant, then I look for leadership. I look for blessings around me. Wants, observations, feelings, thoughts, and wants. The element, the elements that the upper brain real estate runs on. For wants, choose the good and listen to God's still, small voice. There's a quote in Navajo that says, and it's, it could be genderized for this this time, I learned it, uh, somebody translated directly from the Navajo for me, that says, content is the man who wants what he needs. Addicted is the man who needs what he wants. If I give wants the status of needs and I fail to get it, I go through withdrawals just like the heroin addict who fails to get her or his fix goes through physical withdrawals, if I've given wants the status of needs and it fails to come off, I'm going to go through withdrawals called anger or depression or sadness. So I want to identify what I need and I do that by making observations, paying attention to the onboard equipment that lets me know how I'm doing need-wise and want-wise. I want to think less victim and more as God's servant, and listen to his voice. Fill in number two. With God, I am always 
in control. If I'm with God, how can I be other than in control? God's the boss of the video game. The real game. Real life. And absent God, I am controlling. Big difference between being in control and controlling. I've always been amazed with these musicians that I've played with, sometimes on Sundays. And... Um, I am free of reading music and kind of feel my way through what's going on and listen to the sounds. I noticed that with the musicians, they have practiced, they know their craft, and then they let it happen. They're in control rather than trying to force it. And if they have tried to force it, they've acknowledged that and they've gone back to getting in whatever that is that we call flow. David was observing Goliath, and David was observing his surroundings very accurately. He, uh, if, anybody here been to Israel? Okay, so those whose hands are up, notice that when you were in Israel, what they've fought over over there are rocks. The whole place is rocks. Now, I'm thinking David having to save a lamb from the jaws of a, of a lion, mountain lion, cougar, or a bear, uh, would have to run after it, wouldn't you think? And he is stepping around and over rocks. So as he's running toward that, he knows He's making observations. He knows where his feet is going. He's got his pouch. He's, he's pulling out his rock. He's loading up his sling. He's used to chasing after targets. So for him, it was duck soup. He runs and he sees this guy. He's exposed. Hardly a big deal. The guy was tall. So he changed his aim from lower toward a lion and a bear up toward this guy's forehead. And like a pitcher who gets... Just shave the edge of the strike zone, and it gets called a ball, and then he gets a strike on his next pitch. And how he does that from 90 feet away is beyond me. And he just shaves the edge of that strike zone, and his brain and his muscles deliver that pitch right where he can get a strike call. That's what I think David had with his pre precision and when he was told he was a, but a mere youth and however old he was, because that's some of the question, was he a really just a 12 or 14-year-old or was he a, a older as a young man? What we do know is he had the opportunity to protect what his charge was, and that was to take care of the, the, the food and the fuel, the, the warmth that you get out of the sheep. And his job was to deliver those stones where they needed to be on time, in time, right at the right spot. And his feelings were clear and he was confident. And he had the right amount of adrenaline for the excitement of the moment, stopping short of fear. His thinking was focused. He was situationally aware. He knew what he was seeing and feeling and thinking and he knew what he was going to do. And he was completely free of thinking that he was a victim. Different 
than his comrades on the Israeli side that were very afraid when they saw the giant and certainly different than the Philistines when they saw their champion drop dead or drop and then have his head cut off, killed and then have his head cut off. They were afraid. David was free of thinking that he was the victim. I make my living doing, doing counseling um, and I estimate that roughly 80% of everyday language invites us to consciously and subconsciously portray ourselves to others and to see ourselves as victims. Quoting the business coach Tony Perinello, fear of success starts when we embrace a set of negative preconceived notions, ideas that can be called disempowering beliefs. These beliefs are the ideological principles that make negative self-talk possible. They tend to be short, universal-sounding statements, and they may sound like this. Life is tough. <laughs> Only the strong survive. Success is difficult to achieve, and it's only for the gifted. Some people have all the luck. You want some wine with that cheese? I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Look at what my parents did to me. I remember Flip Wilson's character, Geraldine. Any of you old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Do you remember what Geraldine used to say? Devil made me do it. Made me do it. <laughs> Ooh. I like the part about killer. Much political fundraising makes use of people's fears and victim mindset. Controlling the airways as being a victim is alive and well, and it amasses huge amounts of money, dividing our people and our world. And to be sure, there are bad guys that need to be stopped. We need to practice discernment rather than easy victim, rescuer, and persecutor slogans that fire up our most primitive brain circuits, those that are designed to help us fight or flee. To be sure, accidents and evil actions happen, and we still need 911 on our phones. That's why we have Coast Guard. That's why we have police. That's why we have armed forces. And even though there's, there are flaws in those systems because they're made up of humans, we still need them. And I am grateful to be in this country to where we still have the chance. Every man and woman, one vote, we hope. Only one, <laughs> and every vote gets counted. And we're free of following messiahs in the political sphere. The message that I get out of First Samuel and the rest of the scripture is that we have one God, and he is supreme. So for fill-in number three, ask myself, do I have my God with me? Situational awareness is paying attention, knowing where I am. 
I have a little book in my office. It's a book of pictures with, a little, with little phrases. And one says, tell your family who you are. And tell your family where you are. More than this philosophical who I am thing. Where am I? Keep, us, keep each other aware of our movements, of people that we love. Know what's going on around me. Be discerning. Read my body's emotions. Sometimes I'm confused and missing clarity. Learn to live in ambiguity. I can remember being in Florence, Italy in the academia. Anybody been to where the statue of the David is? Michelangelo, when he did the biblical character David, he made him bigger than the giant. Standing next to Michelangelo's David on a pedestal, David starts here, and his foot is this big. <laughs> and then it goes up. And that Michelangelo made the David so that the eyes are looking off, sizing up the giant. David was bigger than Goliath. I can be bigger than things I'm afraid of. I can be bigger than ways I learned to think and talk to myself. Know what I'm thinking. Listen to your inside rehearsing. If you hear any victim talk, tell somebody about it. Talk about it. Swap it out. What is my goal? What do I want to do? And what actions do I want to take to reach those goals? What kind of a support system do I have and do I nurture? When David crossed that stream and the rocky ground with his sling and his ammo, five stones, he ran toward his target. He ran at Goliath. I remember teaching a seminar 25 years ago to a bunch of scientists and engineers at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And I was talking about how each one of us has a built-in pushback mechanism. That we have a physical space pushback mechanism. And I was making that analogy with language can invite pushback. Because when I tell somebody what they should do, by the way, those people sitting in the back, you should be sitting up here in the front. Now, I think you know I'm doing a role play. Anybody notice a little reaction? As soon as I tell you what you should be doing. So I was doing this example, and a friend, a friend of mine named David, he became my friend. He was new to me that day. There was some people, maybe 40 or so uh, uh, scientists and engineers were in the room, and I asked for a volunteer because I wanted to do this pushback mechanism thing, show them. And... So as I stepped up to David, I'll take care of your wrist, yours and mine both hurt, and I started to push, I expected him to push back. Instead, he put his hand around mine, pulled me off balance toward him, <laughs> and then took the pose and said, yeah, bring it. Now, everybody laughed at me, and he asked everybody to calm down, because he said, I know what John was going to do, and I would have pushed back too. He had a seventh degree black belt in karate, 
and he had trained himself instead of pushing back naturally to take the other guy's energy, move toward it, and draw it toward him. And then if you need to thump him on the way by, you've got him off balance and leaning, as I was. David ran toward Goliath rather than away. He was bobbing and weaving around the rocks on the ground. He was moving with the confidence that he was representing his God. He knew he could take his opponent down with any one of the five rocks. And he was open to whatever might develop. And he had four more stones available. What are my stones? What stones do you have? Prayer? Relationships? Favorite verses? What are your favorite go-to verses to express your gratitude toward God or to ask for help and to remind yourself that He is in control? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That kind of covers it all. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he said, started off with acknowledging God's preeminence. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then in the Hebrew, very simple language, feed us, take care of us, forgive us. Do I have confidence that he is in control? The, everybody, I think, if you've yet to know this by name and number, you know it by sound. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's a different translation than it's actually in the Hebrew. Because it's free of any the in the beginning. The word is breshith, in beginning when God began the process of creating. God exists, and he begins all creating rather than there was a the beginning. Our Heavenly Father has being before anything is created, past what the web telescope can see. That's the God, without even any telescopes, that David, while I'm sure free of light from the nearby shopping centers and such making, you know, light pollution in the air when he sat out. Ever been up high in the mountains and looked up and seen the Milky Way? Remember the first time you saw it? Wow. And that's just a smidgen, and there's so much more. David lived and breathed in that, in that awareness, and even when he did all the sinful things, that we're going to find out about in the rest of uh, Samuel and Kings. He still trusted and loved God. So let's start to wind up here. Americans have a strong sense of supporting the underdog, and I think that's good. And yet it can be so much that it can get in the way of more careful judgment. We have a, a doe that uh, wanders off a hill, and, and I live over here. We're just a, you know, just a what, quarter mile away in, in, in a neighborhood, 
and the doe has worked her way through green space and lives up by a water tower and there's other family members and the doe comes and we spray the roses because that becomes food and we lose roses and we've got a little olive tree we we call him ollie because and he's a miniature and he stays miniature because apparently that's good deer food and uh we were at a um a, a, a neighborhood party yesterday and people were talking about it and the ladies including jamie my wife we're feeling sorry for this poor doe that is out there all by herself. And uh, the guys are thinking, well, maybe she just gets a, needs to get away from the kids, you know? And, and, she, and she knows where the food is. So we, we do have a strong sense of automatically caring for the underdog, and there's lots of drama in everyday life. In my job, I get to help people sort their ways through, through some of it. So I make my living doing that. My profession calls it psychotherapy, and in many ways, counseling is spiritual therapy, because psyche means soul. Psychotherapy, the word psyche means soul, and our soul can get battered with drama and with judgments from inside ourselves and from others, and we're trying to carry around other people's armor, the things that they have told us, the way we should think and feel and believe. It's complex being a human. It's work being a mom and a dad. It's also a joy. David's relationship with God was complex. A child's relationship with the big guy in his or her life can be complex. And obviously, I come from a boy's experience. And the boy will grow up and probably become a, a father before he both understands what challenges and demons his own father may have had back in the day and before he can actually forgive if called for. And we can remember those things. We can talk about them. There's an old saying that comes out of Central Europe someplace. If you're being pursued by a ghost, turn around and run toward it. If I'm running from the ghost and I look around to see if it's still chasing me, guess what that sneaky ghost did? Slipped over there out of sight. So I turn around and if I turn around and come at the problem, come at the ghost, then I can engage this wonderful set of equipment between my ears that, the, that God gave me. I can save that reactive fight-or-flight circuitry for real saber-toothed tigers if I'm free of a sling or the skill of David. And I can use my noodle. When I think of giants from the perspective of doing my job, I get to hear how folks did when they were with the giants in their lives. Sometimes those giants were wounded themselves and were, were mean, and sometimes those giants were absolute blessings. My wife and her father and her brothers, uh, absolutely magnificent men, and I've been with people whose fathers, for whatever reason, fell very short. If I think in victim mindset, there's a handy, in quotes, there's a handy thing about being a, quote, victim, is I let myself off the hook for the persecuting I then do, blaming the other person for making me a victim. So guess what I just became? I became the persecutor. And as soon as I say what you didn't do or you should have done, sounds to me like I'm claiming 
victim status while simultaneously being the persecutor in her drama. Choices. <sighs> Pray for those who gave you pain and give thanks for those who blessed you. Remembering our pain free of victim complaining is very much acknowledge the knowledge. Try that one more time. Acknowledging the truth that will set me free. Coming to terms with aspects of my past that touch me now can be God's way of help, helping me run toward victory. God knows what it's like to be a father and to lose a kid. God's kid died for our salvation and left us the Holy Spirit to help us sort things out as we prepare for his return. A phrase that I coined for myself that I mentioned earlier, a father is what you did, a dad is what you do. Sometimes they're the same person. And when Jesus prayed, he used both words, Abba, which is dad or daddy, and father, in the same prayer. Amen. I uh, have one little piece that I want to add. Came out of. Do, do anybody have the upper room? It, that, that that little back of the uh, bathroom, or the back of the toilet read that grannies have, and then pass on. It's just kind of a short little thing and a little book. This came from Sunday, April 30th, 2023. And for this Father's Day, as you get together to celebrate or whatever you're doing. Perhaps think of this. I pause to appreciate life's simplest blessings. Today I give thanks for the simplest blessings, the small things that bring a smile to my lips and a warm feeling to my heart. A hug from a friend, a cuddle from a grandchild, or stroking the soft fur of a beloved pet fills my awareness with love. The sudden lift I get seeing a favorite person's handwriting in the mail or the thrill of spotting a rainbow after a cleansing rain shower spark lasting happiness in my heart. These things and more remind me that true contentment is found in life's smallest moments, the everyday treasures that comprise daily life and draw me close to God. I focus on these simple blessings and grow in gratitude for my life's many gifts. And from Psalm 144, happy are the people to whom such blessings fall. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Worship team, you want to do another song? Or are we going to do an offering, or are we going to do both? Both of them? Okay. Will you pray with me? Eternal Father, eternal God, overall, who is love and truth. In kindness, we give you thanks for this church, for these people, for your love, for the music, for the opportunities to grow. We ask that you be with us today and in the coming, in the coming week. Thank you for this team of people who go out and build homes for people real people with real needs. In your name we pray, amen.
I've yet to be sure about earthly fathers as in fathers know best. I know Heavenly Father knows best and he's always been kind. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his make, make his face to shine upon you. May you look into his creation and see the love that he gives for us in his son. In his name we pray, amen. Go with him.